0: Joshua, don't forget me after the service with that (laughs) box right there because I know you want to be generous to all who are around you. and There may be others who want you to be generous as well. You know, next Sunday is what we call in the liturgical year, Christ the King Sunday, or the Reign of Christ Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the liturgical year, and the following Sunday is the first Sunday of the new year, liturgically, churchwide speaking, and we call it the first Sunday in Advent. Now, this particular psalm, Psalm 145, and I hope you have your Bibles and will turn with me to read this psalm, This psalm is a hymn of thanksgiving, and it gives praise to God the King. He is the King of the world. And it names some of God's attributes and some of His great deeds as King. Now, interestingly, if we were proficient in the Hebrew language in which this psalm was written, we would see very quickly that this psalm is an acrostic, meaning that every line begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet so if we were doing it by english the first line would begin with an a and the second line the, that next word would would begin with a b and so forth so more than likely you know this psalmist is a creative writer and he is wanting to make this psalm memorable for individuals who may wish to memorize it there's a little You know, reminder of what each line begins with, with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. He's also probably wanting to make this psalm about God the King comprehensive. From A to Z, he's wanting to name all of the attributes and celebrate all of the great deeds of God. Now, next Sunday on Christ the King Sunday, we're going to look at God as the judge, the God who brings judgment and justice into the world. But today I want you to notice that God the King has many of the attributes that surround a rich generosity. So pay attention as we read the psalm together. Follow with me through verse 18. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all, He has compassion. On all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I I don't know about you, but when I think about a king... That's a difficult concept for me to wrap my mind around. Unlike the British monarchy, for example, we Americans have to make a gigantic leap in imagination to make the connection to a king. You see, our American model for leadership in government is found in presidents, it's found in governors, it's found in mayors, and other legislative bodies. But you know, when I traveled to Britain in 2004, it really helped me understand the importance of kings and queens in that country. You see, typically in history, kings and queens are not public servants. They are the ones to whom we serve. We, we cater to them. We do whatever they wish that we would do for them. And trust me, I got to go to the Tower of London and I got to see that place where a person paid the price with his or her head if that individual did not offer service and obedience to the king or the queen. But here in Psalm 145, we have a different picture of a king. We have a king... God, who is one who truly and greatly cares for his people. And so that's why the psalmist praises God throughout this this psalm. He praises him for his greatness. He commends God for his awesome works and his great deeds, even naming them to future generations. He celebrates God's abundant goodness and sings joyfully about God's righteousness. In fact, that goodness... And that righteousness really kind of serves as a checklist for you and me. For instance, let's go back for a moment. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Are you gracious? Are you compassionate to people around you? The psalmist writes that the Lord is slow to anger and rich in love. Are you slow to anger? And are you rich, generous in love? The Lord is good to all he has made. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is faithful towards all of his promises and loving towards all he has made. Are you faithful and loving and generous in all to whom you relate? How do you stack up to God the King? And then the psalmist really summarizes all of these attributes and all of these deeds of God the King, I think, in verse 16. The psalmist writes, You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So when all is said and done, will it be said of you that you had open hands? or that you had clenched fist. What will it be said of you when you stand before your God, the King one day, the one who the text says has open hands? Will your hands be open, Or will you have lived a life in which your fist would have been clenched? When it comes to practicing compassion and love and forgiveness, when it comes to fulfilling your promises and commitments that you've made to other people or that you've even made to God, will it be said of you that you had open hands or closed and tight fists? When it comes to using your God-given talents, when it comes to utilizing your spiritual gifts, as the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, will it be said of you that you had open hands or closed in tight fist. When it comes to meeting human needs that surround all of us every day, will it be said of you now and in the future that you had those open hands or that you had the clenched fist? And when it does come to the use of your possessions and your money, your wallet, your pocketbook, for the work of God's kingdom, will it be said of you that you had open hands? Or will it be said of you that you held on tightly to everything that belonged to you, or you thought it belonged to you, with clenched fist? You know, it's kind of interesting. If you make a survey of the Bible, I think you'll be astounded to see how many times Jesus... And other biblical characters in the Old and the New Testament, those people were folks who had open hands. And I mean physically, they had open hands. They were the folks who reached out and literally touched people with those open hands, those open palms. They touched them to heal them, they touched them to bless them, they touched people to commission them for service. They touch people to give of their hearts and their souls and their very selves on a regular basis. It was regular, open hands thinking and being and living. Now, for some reason that I've never been able to quite figure out, it seems that we have a little more open hand thinking and being and living and behaving in times of crisis, in times of tragedy, in times of danger than we do in everyday normal life. Have you noticed that? Just several weeks ago, I noticed that there was very little clenched fist thinking and behaving in the aftermath of Hurricane Matthew. Matthew. There were scores of people, and many of you in this room were among those folks who volunteered with your time, your talents, your energy. There were scores of people, many of you in this room, who gave generously financially. You know, we took an offering here at Oakmont that went to the North Carolina Baptist men for the disaster relief efforts that are continuing. By the way, you do understand it's not over with yet. You do understand there are people displaced in this community who have not returned to their homes. You do understand that there are people who still have mud in their homes. They've got algae and mold growing in their homes. You understand that because they don't have a home to go back to, that they emotionally and spiritually just feel all out of sorts. You understand that, don't you? And so we've got groups like North Carolina Baptist Men that are going in and doing mud outs and doing cleanup work, and they're going to rebuild some of those homes. And to your credit, our credit together, we gave one Sunday over $11,000. Not clenched fist thinking and behaving and doing, but open hand thinking and doing and sharing. You know when our own Nelson Cooper one of our Oakmont members and deacons when Nelson was diagnosed in the late spring early summer with ALS people immediately began to rally around the Cooper family. The week that Nelson found out about his ALS diagnosis was the week in June of vacation bible school in our church and we called a prayer meeting for any who would want to come and it was on the last night of vacation bible school at 8:30 after vacation bible school was over with in this room now that's not the most opportune time when you call prayer meetings 8:30 the middle of the week Do you know this room, especially in the two center sections, filled up, was packed. There were over 200 people with 24 hours notice who showed up to envelop the Cooper family with their open hands and arms and hearts. And since that time, people have opened up their wallets for fundraisers for the Coopers, They've opened up their time and their energy and their talents to go and do things around the house, to be available, to help with transportation. Why is it that we tend to have a little more open-handed, open-heart thinking and doing and behaving in a moment of crisis than we do in everyday living? The real challenge is to take what happens in a moment of crisis and danger and translate it into making it a part of our character, a part of who we are each and every day. Not closed-fisted theology and thinking and living and behaving, but open-handed where we understand that our time is not our time. That our talents and our spiritual gifts are not really our spiritual gifts and our talents. That our money is not our money. All of that stuff has just been placed on loan for a determined amount of years. And the real owner is God. If we could ever transition and transform ourselves into fully understanding that everything at our disposal, did you hear that? Our. As if we own it, we're in charge of it. If we could ever translate it into God, it's yours. How would you have me use it? Whose life would you have me touch today? How would you have me use it to be responsible for the care of my family? But also have a deep concern for people in this world that surround me. You know what we often fail to take into account with this open hands thinking and doing and living and behaving rather than the clenched fist living We often fail to take into account that it really is a practice that emulates God the King. As described here in this psalm. And when we live with that open-handed thinking and living, it really yields often a reciprocal blessing that comes back to our lives. This generous giving of our time, our talents, our money, even a part of ourselves. On many occasions returns to bless us and means something significant in our lives. As this video that I'm about to show you will demonstrate, I want you to look at a video that's a clip from the CBS Evening News on Friday evenings of each week. Steve Hartman does a series called On the Road. Look at this video with Steve Hartman on the Road. We end tonight
1: with a marriage made in heaven. It must have been made in heaven. No one on earth could have dreamed it up. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. There are always a lot of people to thank on a wedding day. But the bride-to-be at this church outside Chicago had one person to thank over all others. A total stranger who made this possible. Wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for him. A couple years ago, out of the blue, 27-year-old Heather Krueger was diagnosed with stage 4 liver disease. Doctors said she had just a few months to live. I mean, they immediately told me I was going to need a transplant. That's not enough time to really find a donor, right? No. By that time, I could really feel my body shutting down. Enter our hero. Chris Dempsey is a code enforcement officer for the village of Frankfort, Illinois. What's going on? And he says he was in the break room one day when he overheard a guy talking about this woman who needed a liver donor.
0: I spent four years in the Marine Corps and learned there never to run away from anything. So I just said to myself, hey, if I can help, I'm going to help.
1: Keep in mind, he'd never met Heather, but he got tested to see if he was compatible. And when he found out he was, that's when they finally met for the first time. We had lunch together, discussed what the whole process was going to be. Did you buy at least? No, he bought. Oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he bought, now that I remember. <laughs> Not long after, they checked into the University of Illinois Hospital. The transplant, which involves removing about half of the donor's liver, went off without a hitch. Afterward, Chris and Heather remained close. They got so close, in fact, he was at her wedding last weekend. He had to be, really. I mean, what's a wedding without a groom? And so it was that a year and a half after giving her part of his liver, she gave him all her heart. You're the most incredible man I've ever known. You believe in me and you make me feel amazing every single day. Because of you, I laugh, smile, and I dare to dream again. Acts of great kindness are done without expectation. When Chris decided to give an organ to a random stranger, he had no idea he was saving his own wife. But such is the way of goodness. The more likely you are to live for others, the more likely you are to live happily ever after. Steve Hartman on the road in Frankfurt, Illinois. Simply wonderful. That's a CBS Evening News.
0: Most of the time, when you give someone an open hand, it's because you first have given them your heart. You've opened yourself up to them and you've let their life touch you. And many times, there are blessings that are reciprocally returned to us. We're going to sing the hymn this morning, Because I have been given much, I too must give. The words will be on the screen. And as we sing the hymn today, what is it that God is inviting you to do when it comes to open-handed thinking and living and doing and being generous with all that you have for the work of his kingdom. Maybe there's somebody here who has never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And one of the great teachings of our faith is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you and for me. It could be that you've been through our Oakmont 101 class, our membership class, and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. Maybe you will find it meaningful to go back to our prayer stations, to pray with one of our ministers, to light a candle that symbolizes that prayer, to leave a prayer request or to pen a prayer to God about something that's going on in your life. So you feel the freedom to move and to go and to share at the prayer station So as God leads you, I hope you'll respond. Let's stand together and let's sing our hymn.